it pains me to say that today, in 2021, God's people, some of God's people, are still not doing it God's way. Unless we do it God's way, we are robbing God. Open your Bible, would you please, to the book of Malachi, chapter number 3. And today we're going to deal with a, a very important subject. This is very important for uh, all God's people. And it's uh, the subject on tithing. Everything okay out there? I think I heard a yes. Oh, listen, I want to thank you all for praying for me. I had eye surgery on Friday. And uh, iridotomy is what it's called. And the idea of it is to open up the drainage canals in the eyes to help prevent future glaucoma. So I was uh, subjected to laser beams. And the first time, what an experience. It felt like getting poked in the eye, literally. Pam, pam. But uh, it worked, I think. And I'm weeping more now than uh, I've ever wept before. So I guess that's good. But uh, thank you for praying. I appreciate it. Now, a good question that sometimes people ask concerning giving, because we're asking folks to, to tithe and to give to faith promise. And a good question that is sometimes asked is this. Well, isn't tithing good enough? Isn't it good enough? And we want to try and answer that today. And folks, I'm going to give you a full cup of blessing. You are going to get your, well, I don't like to use the expression, your money's worth, but we're going to try and make your, your cup full and overflowing today. And now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're going to pretend we're in Bible college. And so today's message is going to be a little more on the line of a Bible college lecture. This is really the best way I can think of to try and communicate the truths on tithing so that, so that we know them. Now, you might be wondering, Pastor, why are you teaching this? Haven't you taught on tithing before? I have, but a couple of reasons why I want to do it. Number one, we have new folks here that weren't around when I taught on it last time, and they also need to hear this. Uh, number two... The review is very important for us. We need to get reviewed on this. Review, by the way, uh, review is the key to learning. If you want to, to memorize a Bible verse, usually you'll write it out somewhere, but you review it and review it and review it, and that's the key to learning. Also, that's how you sort of milk the Bible verse for more than what meets the eye. You get more blessing that way. So, I'm going to give you a full cup today. I want you to be prepared to uh, maybe take a couple of notes. But I want to stick very carefully to my notes here today so I don't uh, make a mistake or miss anything. So let's begin now with a word of prayer, shall we? Our dear Heavenly Father, once more we thank you that we can gather. Thank you for this beautiful place you've provided. And it's clean and it's well lit and we've got good audio um, We've got good climate control here. Um, we do thank you so very much. What a blessing to have this building. What a blessing from heaven. Thank you for it. Help us now and open the eyes of our understanding. 
Lord, we pray that uh, the truths today would take root and hold in everyone's heart, both here and those watching online. And so, Father, lead and guide. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, again, we want to try and answer this main question about tithing. Isn't it good enough? And the main passage is uh, out of Malachi chapter 3. And it's a very familiar passage to uh, so many people. But some people today say that tithing is not meant for today. They say that tithing was something under Mosaic law. That it was all part of Moses' law. And uh, we're not under Moses' law. We're under grace. And so it doesn't apply to us anymore. And you can go on the internet and you will find numerous websites that will teach this. That tithing is no longer applicable for today. I remember uh, when I was doing research on this, I found a website where the author said that it's not only not for today, but if you tithe, you're committing a sin. It's sinful if you were to tithe. Like that's the extreme that this one particular author turned, uh, uh, took it to. Well, I beg to differ with this. I want you to know right up front that it was the subject of tithing that got me saved. I was a lost young teenager in 1974, and I was reading the Bible, trying to find out who God was. And I decided, I came upon this word tithing, and you've heard me tell you this, I didn't even know that that was the proper way to pronounce it. I thought it was tith. And I thought, huh, God wants a tith. So, hmm, where should I give my tith? And I remember asking my mother, where do you think I should give my tith? (laughs) She must have understood what I meant. Because uh, she said to me, well, the Salvation Army seems to do a lot of good. I said, okay. And so I made arrangements. Make a long story short, I started attending this little, I didn't know even know it was a church, the Salvation Army. I just thought it was a soup kitchen. So I started attending in December January and February and March. I was attending these services and I was hearing the Word of God being preached and I was giving my tith, which by that time was a tithe. I finally figured that out. And uh, it was in April the 6th, 1975, when I finally got saved. I was still 18, soon to be 19. But it was tithing that got me under the sound of the Gospel. So no one in the world can convince me that tithing is bad. Because it got me saved. And I'm not the only one who's had a testimony like that. There are others. I remember hearing a man preach uh, out of the book of Nehemiah. And he was talking about his church. He was at a camp meeting preaching out of the book of Nehemiah. And he was talking about his church. And he said his church is such a wonderful church. And it's a very soul winning church. Very missions minded church. He said anyone could lead a soul to Christ in that church. And then he said... One Sunday, I preached on tithing, and five people got saved. (laughs) So, just a humorous story there, but tithing, I believe, is still in effect, still important for today, and I would like to try and prove that to you with a series of three proofs. Now, remember, we're all pretending that we're in Bible college, so I'll be the the headmaster for the the time being, and I'll deliver the, the lecture, You all be the the good Bible college students. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm going to give you a full cup. 
And so that means I got a lot of information for you. So I promise you that I'll speak fast if you can listen fast. And we'll get this thing done to the glory of God. Well, proof number one is um, these people who say that uh, we're under grace and tithing doesn't apply to grace. Well, I'd like you to know that grace was also around before the Mosaic Law. There was grace before the Mosaic Law. Uh, In fact, I'd like to go one step further. I want you to know that grace has been around before the Law of Moses, during the Law of Moses. You can write down Proverbs 3.34. That's a good reference. It says that God gives grace to the lowly. So that was during the time of Moses' Law. And of course, after Moses' Law, in the church age, obviously, this is an age of grace. Graces have been around for a long time, hasn't it? Uh, We can see that back even in the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve. And um, uh, right up until the time of um, Moses' law, we find examples of grace. When they sinned, God went and made animal sacrifice and clothed them with the skins of animals. Now remember, the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That's the only way anyone ever gets saved and gets to heaven, is by grace through faith. It's always been that way. Some people think that in the Old Testament under Moses' law, the way that they got saved was keeping the law. No, never, ever. The whole purpose of the law was to bring about the knowledge of sin. Because where there's no law, you don't know you're sinning. God brought in the law and he dealt with his people on the basis of law for those 1,400 years. Now this is very important for us to get. Let's not miss this. For by grace are ye saved. I believe that Adam and Eve are in heaven. I believe that they got saved. And I think that we have a picture of that grace back in Genesis chapter 3 when they sinned and God provided for them uh, coats. But also when you get to Genesis chapter 6, you find a man named Noah. Noah. Remember Noah and the ark? That same Noah. And in chapter 6 verse 8, it says, but Noah found something in the eyes of the Lord. Now if you've read your Bible, what did Noah find in the eyes of the Lord? Grace. There it is right there. Noah found God's grace. That's back in Genesis chapter 6. So you see, what we're learning here is that grace existed before the laws of Moses. And something else I think that we should know. In fact, let's just take a a look at this. We're going to be coming back to Malachi. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Now, being good Bible college students, you all have your Bible with you, I trust. And uh, you turn with me to these passages of Scripture. And in Luke chapter 16, I'd like you to see when the law ended. We know when it began. Exodus chapter 20 with the the Ten Commandments. That was the beginning of the law. And it wasn't just Ten Commandments. You know, there were something like 600 Mosaic Commandments. All kinds of things. Dietary laws and how they were to dress and things like that. There were about 600 laws It was all one package. It was all called law. We know when it began, but when did it end? Well, we know when it ended in Luke chapter 16 and verse 16. Look at it with me. The law 
and the prophets were until who? John. Now that's John the Baptist. John the Baptist. The law ended with the very last prophet. And that was John the Baptist. When he died, so did the Mosaic law. So that's very important for us to know. We also know that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So proof number one is that grace existed before the law. So for someone to say, tithing doesn't apply to us today because we're under grace, we're not under law. Hold on, time, time. Let's look at the scriptures and we find that grace was alive and well prior to the laws of Moses. There was grace. There's been grace from the the Garden of Eden right through until time ends. There will be God's grace. It's one of those things that are connected with God. It doesn't go away. But proof number two, where do we first find tithing mentioned in the Bible? Is it in the time of law or is it outside the time of law? Um, I believe that we find tithing in Genesis. And I'd like you to turn there with me, please, to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. My friend, if you have trouble finding the book of Genesis, well, we, we need to sit down and talk. Now, in the book of Genesis, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these men were tithers And this was approximately 600 years before Moses came and God gave the law, Mosaic law, that does mention tithing. This is 600 years before the law was given. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three generations, all tithed from Genesis chapter 11 to Genesis chapter 50. Now, It took another 400 years after Genesis chapter 50 for Moses to come along and, you know, try and get the people of Israel freed and take the Jews out of Egypt and into the the wilderness. And it was there that God gave them the law and tithing was mentioned there in the law. But essentially we're looking 600 years before Moses. Now you're in Genesis chapter 14. I'd like you please to look here. At uh, verse number 18, we see a guy named Melchizedek. And he happened to be the king of a town, a city called Salem. And he brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. So this man was God's servant on earth at the time, this Melchizedek. And he blessed him. Uh, Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram. That was his name before it got changed to Abraham. Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And, he, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. Pause for a minute. Abraham had just finished with a very victorious war. He had been the victor in this. God made sure that Abraham won this little war. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and also the priest of the Most High God, he had these two titles. He comes out of the town with bread and wine and he blesses Abraham and says, Blessed be Abraham and blessed be the Most High God. Now watch at the end of verse 20. And he, that's Abraham, gave him, that's Melchizedek, tithes of all. He gave him tithes. Now I'd like you to jot down Hebrews chapter 7. 
um, make a little note because this is the comparative chapter. You want to read Hebrews chapter 7 with Genesis chapter 14 and you will get a lot more answers to your questions. We learn in Hebrews chapter 7 that it was specifically Abraham who gave tithes to specifically to Melchizedek. And you say, well, why did he do that? Because he was the priest of the Most High God. Abraham knew that this man represented the God that he knew and loved. And so Abraham gave him tithes. And this happened 600 years, hundreds of years before Moses ever came on the scene. Now, who taught Abraham to tithe? How did Abraham know that? God there's no record, um, record at whatsoever that God taught Abraham to tithe. There's nothing. So it can only be that tithing was in existence prior to Abraham. Historical records tell us that. That people back then were tithing. They would tithe to deity. That was a common understood truth. The way you honor deity is with a tithe. That's what Abraham was doing. He was honoring God by paying tithes. Now we're going to be coming to Hebrews chapter 7 later in this lecture here. But this is very important that you get this. Tithing is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14, 600 years before Moses was even born. And people who say that tithing only belongs to Mosaic law are not correct. They've made a mistake. Because obviously Abraham was tithing all this time. Isaac was a tither. Otherwise, his son Jacob would never have known to tithe. It was passed on from father to son. We've got in Genesis 28 a definite record of Jacob paying tithes. Again, hundreds of years before Moses, and it was passed on from father to son, and so on. And so we have a clear evidence of tithing before the Mosaic law. Isn't that grace? Isn't that amazing grace? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still recipients of God's grace. And they were tithing way back then. That's good to know. But now the third proof. Now this one is very important. Because it deals with the church. The third proof, we have to go to the New Testament. And we're going to go to, uh, well, let's go to Luke, shall we? Back to Luke. New Testament, Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then the Gospel of John. I heard many years ago a little jingle that you can keep in your head. And that's how you know the order of the four Gospels. It's a silly one, but it'll stick in your head. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hold the horse till I get on. And so there's a little silly jingle, but it'll keep Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your head in case you don't know which comes first or which comes last. Now you know. So we're in Luke chapter 6. Now here we find that the Lord Jesus um, was about to establish his church. And what I want you to see from this, and I'll tell you right up front, I want you to see this, that... Jesus continued tithing under grace, not under law. I want you to see this. 
It's important that we be careful with the scriptures and we understand exactly what God wrote. Now in Luke chapter 6, we'll go to verse 12. It says, And it came to pass in those days that he went uh, uh, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Here's the Lord Jesus. He got away from all of the crowds of people. He got alone with God in a mountain and he started to pray. And the prayer maybe started, who knows, at 9 at night. It went till 10. It went till 11. It went to 12. Then it crossed into 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and Jesus was still praying. Listen, for those of you who have never spent a season in prayer, I want you to know you're missing out on a good thing. I have in my life, uh, one of my greatest prayer meetings that I've ever been in was God and me. And that was a six-hour prayer meeting that I spent with God. And I was praying for something specific. And finally, at the end of those six hours, I knew the Holy Spirit gave me tremendous confidence that God had heard my prayer. And indeed, He did. And there was almost immediately re- immediate results because of it. But that's not for this message here. The Lord Jesus stayed in prayer before the Father all night. Why? Because something very important was about to happen. You say, what was that? Well, if you look here in verse number 13, and when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles, and were given the names of them here. So here the Lord Jesus chose his twelve disciples, his twelve apostles, and it was here that he began teaching these men, because he knew what was going to be coming. The Lord Jesus came and offered himself as Messiah to the kingdom of Israel. They rejected him. And so the Lord Jesus started to then talk about his crucifixion and talk about the church. And the men he chose, except for Judas, but the 11 11 of the 12 would go on to get the church going. And so here we have in embryotic form the very early beginnings, if you will, how the Lord began teaching the apostles all about the church. And so he selected these, these apostles here. And during his earthly ministry, he started to build his church. Matthew chapter 16, if you'll remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. Again, in Matthew chapter 18, he talked about a form of discipline where there's a church members and one of them is, is not living right for God and has offended another. And eventually the matter, if it couldn't be resolved, had to be brought before the church. And Jesus specifically mentioned that word in Matthew chapter 18. And this is still long before he died on the cross for our sins. What Jesus was doing is he was preparing the men for the coming church. That's what he was doing. Now, This process of building his church, his church was going to need some sort of form of self-government. It was going to need requirements for membership. It would need some form of authority. It would need a purpose. It would need a mission. Um, It would need a church manual. It would need a hymnal. His church would need a philosophy of music. His church would need a format and doctrines and teaching His church would need a method of discipline. His church would need a source of power. His church would need an assurance of Christ's presence. His church would need a timeline of existence. 
His church would need officers and leadership and a plan of financing itself and of ministries. And the Lord Jesus was setting all this up, all this up. Now, in the New Testament, the word church is a translation of the word ekklesia in Greek, and it means a called out assembly. People who've been called out and called together to assemble. That's the idea of a church. Some people think the church is universal all around the world. I want you to know that that is not true. The body of Christ is around the world, but the church is a local assembly. It's always been a local assembly. Now, you're here today. Most of you would have a family. Maybe there's a mom and dad and brother and sister. That's often a typical kind of a family. But that's a family. Sometimes there's just a mom, sometimes just a dad. But you get what I'm saying. We have these things called families. Now, we're not all of one family. If we were, who would be the mother? Who would be the father? We are all of individual families. And we can call ourselves, you know, the family of God, where God is our father. But on earth here, when we go to our homes, there's our families. They're all individual. The church is the same way. And we're all part of God's family in Christ. But the churches are individually set up. And so they need a lot of help. And the Lord Jesus was doing this. Now something interesting is that he appointed a treasurer for his church. Now you're in Luke there. So turn to the right to the Gospel of John. And look at chapter 12. John chapter 12. In John chapter 12. We have the record here of the treasurer. Now unfortunately the treasurer that was chosen wasn't a very honest treasurer, but he was the treasurer of the, the little nucleus of Jesus and the twelve disciples. And he's mentioned here in verse number four, Judas Iscariot. And verse six, this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag. Do you see that? And bear what was put therein. Judas was the treasurer. Now I want you to know that Judas had every evidence of being a fine, upstanding, God-fearing man. No one, no one suspected that Judas was who he turned out to be. No one except Jesus knew who he really was. Only Jesus knew that Judas, of the twelve, only Judas wasn't saved. He was a very selfish, ungodly man. But he had all the appearance of godliness. And I am just guessing, but I imagine that when come time to elect a treasurer, maybe it was Peter that said, Lord, I'd like to nominate Judas Iscariot. I think he's a fine, upstanding guy. And maybe, uh, maybe James stood up and said, Lord, that's right, I second the nomination. There's not a finer man I know than Judas Iscariot. I know his family. He's, he comes from good stock. He's honest. We can trust him to hold the bag. He can be the treasurer. Now, I'm just sort of making that up. I don't know exactly how Judas was chosen, but you might be wondering, well, why? Why was there a Judas amongst all of the twelve? Well, obviously, for many reasons, one of them to fulfill Scripture about being betrayed, but maybe also, listen to this, maybe one reason, one of the reasons why 
Jesus allowed Judas in, in the, the disciples was to teach us never to assume that all of the baptized members of the church are actually saved. It has happened on occasion where a member of the church been baptized and voted in. A member of the church one day realizes he or she is not born again. They sort of mimic the behavior of others around them. And after that, they either got saved or they left. So it's just a thought that maybe that's why the Lord allowed a Judas in there. But I do want you to see here in this scripture that it was Judas who was the treasurer. Now why do you need a treasurer if there's no offerings? Obviously you have to have a treasurer if there's going to be offerings. We have several people here connected with this church that look after the, the money of this church. And they do a fine job too. They, they, they cross their T's and dot their I's. And everything is done under scrutiny. Every penny is accounted for. And I'm very pleased to be able to tell you that. We've never had a problem in 22 years. And so, we're coming back to Jesus and the apostles. There had to have been offerings. Well, then where did they get their money from? Where did they get those offerings from? They had to have had some method of collecting money, raising money. And many people gave to Christ's ministry. And we can see that in the Gospels. And quite possibly some even gave tithes to Jesus. Although we don't know that for sure. But what I do know and what I do want you to see is that Jesus confirmed that tithing was still good. Now to see that we have to go back to Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Now when you have that, look up for just a moment. Let me ask you a question. Now, you're all good Bible college students and you've all been listening very carefully. We learned something earlier. The law of Moses that included tithing. The law of Moses began with Moses. The laws of Moses began with Moses. That makes sense, right? The laws of Moses began with Moses. God gave them to Moses. He gave them to the people. That was in Exodus chapter 20. But we, we said also that we know when the law ended... It ended with a certain person. Who was that person? John the Baptist. Right. Now the question is, was John the Baptist still alive here in Matthew 23? The answer is, anybody know? The answer is no. John the Baptist died back in Matthew chapter 14. Almost 10 chapters ago, John the Baptist died. And with him, the laws of Moses ended. So here we are. Almost 10 chapters later, Matthew 23, and I want you to see that the Lord is affirming tithing, saying that tithing is still good. I want you to see this here, Matthew 23, and let's see here. Now the Lord is rebuking the, the hypocrites, the Pharisees and the scribes who would twist God's word and do crazy, wicked things really. And look at verse 23. Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Now those are herbs from the garden. And have omitted the weightier, the idea is the more important matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. 
Now watch what Jesus said. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. So stop and look up. The hypocrites, scribes and Pharisees, they, they were doing something and they weren't doing something else. What they were doing was tithing. They were tithing these uh, herbs out of their garden. They were tithing. But what they weren't doing is mercy, judgment, and the weightier matters. And what the Lord was saying is you need to be doing both. He said you've done one, but not the other. He said you really need to be doing both. So in saying that, Jesus was saying tithing is still good. And when you really understand tithing, you're going to say, well, of course it's still good. It spans the ages. But you see, Jesus himself here was saying, these ought ye to have done, meaning the tithes. You ought to have done it. You've done right. You've done it. But you've left this other undone. And so this is very important that we see this because we know that the law finished with John the Baptist almost 10 chapters before, and now Jesus is still saying tithing is good. If tithing weren't any good, Jesus would have said so. But he told them point blank, these are good. This ought ye to have done. And so that's good proof. Now I want you to see later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul also affirmed that tithing is good. Now for this you need to turn to the right. And go past the books of Acts and Romans. And get to 1 Corinthians and go to chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. I told you I was going to give you a full cup today. How's your cup doing? Is it over your head yet? I hope not. i got some more to pour into your cup. But you'll see it's important. It's very important that we nail this down. Amen? Because if we don't know why we believe what we believe, then the devil's going to put someone in our pathway and they're going to challenge us. And we won't know what to say. But this way, we are learning why we believe what it is we believe. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, and I want you to see that Paul confirmed tithing is still good for today. You look, please, at verse number 13. And he wrote to the Corinthian church and said, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? He's referring to the Levites and the men who worked full time there at the temple. And they would live of the things of the temple. That was the tithes. We don't have time in our lecture today, but we could go right back to the Old Testament and we could show you where the tithes were brought in and different sacrifices and the Levites would live of these things from the people's offerings. And so, he says, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. So that would be the priests. You've got the Levites and the priests. Verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. This is where the tithes come in. The tithes are brought into the local church and cover all of the costs and pay for the, the pastor's salary and pay for the rent and the lights and things like that. The tithes cover all that and keep the home fires burning strong. So you have the, the Old Testament example of the temple and you have the New Testament example of the church. And the Apostle Paul said that it's the same principle. 
What was good then is good for now. And now I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 7, where we can see that Jesus is still receiving tithes. And we'll go to Hebrews 7. I mentioned we were going to get to it. And when we finish this verse, I am done my three proofs, and I'm going to begin to summarize it for you now. Hebrews chapter number 7. I believe from 40 years of study that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, I haven't always held that position, but I finally believe that he was the guy who wrote it. His name isn't mentioned there, but I believe it was him. And so he, he, he wrote, by the way, if you want to learn the New, the New Testament, study the book of Romans in the New Testament. If you want to really learn the Old Testament, study the book of Hebrews because this was written to Hebrew Christians. And they really, there's so much Old Testament analogy in there. It's just incredible. Book of Romans, book of Hebrews. Just a little tip there for you. But in Hebrews chapter number 7, here he talks about Melchizedek. Remember verse 1, there's Melchizedek. And he explains all about him. Now we get here to verse number 8. And Paul wrote, and here, that means on earth, here. In the church age, as Paul was writing, here on earth, men that die, those are the priests, men that die receive tithes. And so tithing was still going on in the Jewish temple as Paul was writing the book of Hebrews, which may have been somewhere around 58 AD or something like that, well into the church age. Now he goes on, watch this. But there, and the there means in heaven, here on earth, there in heaven, he receiveth them. That is a reference to Jesus. He receiveth, present tense. E-T-H is present tense. He receives our tithes. Our tithes are still being received by Jesus. Abraham, back in Genesis 14, tithed to God. He gave them to the high priest there, the priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek. Today we still tithe to God. We bring our tithes into the storehouse. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But the point of Hebrews 7.8 is that Jesus is still in the process of receiving tithes today. And so therefore, based upon God's word, we can honestly say that tithes and offerings are still to be practiced today in the Lord's churches. And... Uh, Malachi chapter 3 is still good for the church age. And with that in mind, I want you to turn back now to Malachi chapter 3. I mentioned that we are going to come back to it. Now, we've taken the long road, folks, in order to come back to Malachi 3 with new eyes and a new understanding. After having learned that grace is all through earth's history... And tithing is throughout earth's history, even from Abraham right through to the present church age. It is still good and God is still receiving tithes. Now, with this in mind, we can now look at Malachi once more. Chapter 3 and look at verse 8. And God, what he does is he asks the question of his people and then he makes an accusation. Verse 8, will a man rob God? There's the question. And here's the accusation. Yet ye have robbed me. Isn't that something? 
God answered his own question. Really, they were guilty of not giving properly the tithes and offerings. Now, in the first two chapters of Malachi, you need to understand, get the context, folks. In the first two chapters of Malachi, God commanded the best. But what they gave God was the worst. God said, give me the best. They said, here you go, God, and gave him the worst. And I want you to see this in chapter 1. Look at verse 7. God says to them, Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. They offered polluted bread. God wanted the best. They gave the worst. Look also, please, at verse 11. For from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 12, But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Essentially, God was rebuking his people in the book of Malachi. He was asking their best. They were giving them the, him their worst. That's the context. They, they did it their way. They didn't do it God's way. And it pains me to say that today, in 2021, God's people, some of God's people, are still not doing it God's way. Unless we do it, God's way, we are robbing God and incurring a curse upon, a financial curse upon us. And you can look at it in verse number 9. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now you already know this, that thieves live under a curse. People who are low enough to go and steal things. There's a curse on a thief. That's why God doesn't want his people to be thieves. We need to provide things honest in the sight of all men. If you've stolen something, you need to return it, maybe with interest even. But you must make sure that no one can point a finger at you and say, you stole from me. God doesn't like thieves. You don't like thieves. No one likes... Th I'll tell you what, not even a thief likes someone to come and steal from him. Not even thieves like thieves. They don't even like each other. And there's a curse in verse 9. And God is willing to remove that curse and to give his blessing of verse 10 when he says, bring ye all the tithes in. And I want you to see this. Tithing must come first before, before any other offering is acceptable to God. Tithing comes first. So in verse 10, let's take a look at this natural outline that God gives us. He says, uh, bring ye all the tithes. Bring ye all. Well, the word bring, it's a command. We'll start there. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. God is telling us to bring. And secondly, is all the tithes. Now, it's plural because many people had different sources of income. Typically, the, the Jews back then, typically people today, they have multiple streams of income. 
They might have some chickens producing eggs. They'd have some sheep producing wool. They'd, they'd have maybe also something to do with the, the meat of them as, as well. Maybe they'd go to the market and they would get some money, some gold or silver or shekels in exchange, whatever. But these would be different streams of income. And what God is saying, of these streams, bring all the tithes. If you have ten eggs, bring in one. If you've got ten loaves of bread, bring in one. If you've got ten shekels, bring in one. God was saying, bring all of the tithes in. And then he said, into the storehouse. In the Old Testament, that was the temple. In the New Testament, it's confirmed it's the local church. We have that again and again in the scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We don't have time to look at these, but you can write them down. I'll tell them to you right now. The local church is called the storehouse. 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 and 2. Here's the purpose of the tithes. He gives us, God lays it right out for us. The whole thing in verse 10. That there may be meat in mine house. This is the purpose. To make God's house self-supporting. And here's the challenge. The challenge. He says, Prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts. Now that idea is to test me. God is saying, here's my promise. You test me. You take me at my word and see if I won't meet you. This is my promise, my word. He says, prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That is God's promise. His promise. And that goes, by the way, it goes along with James 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. You see, tithing, tithing is good. It's good, but it's not good enough. It takes both tithes and offerings. Look at it in verse 8. Verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Two different things. And they're put in this order, this specific order, for this reason. It takes both tithes and offerings to really be obedient to God and to do the work of God. It takes both. The tithe means 10%. And it's used in the local church for local church expenses. Because face it, if the church has to close then there's going to be no missionaries, no mission money, nothing. So that brings us to this special offerings, tithes and offerings. Now we're almost done here, almost finished. I want you to notice from verse 8, it's plural. Say, why is that? Because you can have offerings for different purposes. You can have an offering for this or an offering for that. It's very true. You can, you can uh, take up special offerings for someone who is in need. That's a special offering. We uh, take up special offerings for our missionaries to support them. Now you might be wondering, how is this going to happen in my life? I'm on a, a fixed income. Actually, some people like to say, I'm on a broken income more than a fixed income. You know, my income, I am not a wealthy man. I'm not a wealthy woman. I don't have... Uh, deep pockets or, or endless streams, how am I going to be able to give a tithe and then support missionaries above that? I'm going to show you how you can do it. 
Go to the Gospel of Luke. You have the very promise of God Himself. Luke chapter number 6. This is not my promise. This is God's promise. Remember I told you something at the beginning of the message. Tithing got me saved. I have been tithing now almost 47 years. Almost 47 years. It was Malachi chapter 3 that got my attention. That's what got me under the sound of the gospel. But in the meanwhile, what happened about the tithes? Well, I'll tell you what. God started to bless me. As I tithed, God started opening up doors. Numerous doors. Financial doors as well as other doors. God was opening up. He was pleased with what I was doing because I was doing it by faith. Faith. Trust that God's promise was true. But here in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, and I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me. Folks at home, I want you to read this out loud with me. Luke 6, 38. Are we good to go? Let's read it. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. That is the answer to your question. Give and it shall be given unto you. Our first experience as a church with faith promise offerings actually began back in about the year 2000 when we had outgrown our 1,200 square foot building down here in the Pear Creek Park. And God led in our hearts to do a faith promise for missions and a faith promise, these are both offerings, a faith promise for missions and a faith promise for a bigger building. We didn't have enough money to be able to move into a bigger facility. So what happened? Well, when we put our faith in God, we discovered, hey, we can take on three more missionaries. And we had another $1,000 a month to help us move into a facility on King George Highway. It was called Highway back in those days, not Boulevard. And we moved into a 2,000 square foot facility, almost doubling our square footage. And we had our own parking lot. And we had the building 24-7. We didn't have to set up and take down and set up and take down. Oh, hallelujah for that. God met us. He answered the desire, the cry, the request of our hearts. When we put faith in his word, he met us and he blessed us. But it hasn't been just that. All down the years, we've kept giving and more each year. And God's made our church grow, moved us into bigger buildings. Until finally we were into this building here. And now we're looking for the next bigger building. And we need some prayer warriors to be praying for that 104 building up there, by the way. Well, anyhow, all this was because of God's promise. No one in the church who started tithing and giving faith promise, no one went broke. No one. I made the promise before a couple of times. I'll make it again. If you start tithing and you go broke, you come and see me. I'll help you. I'll help you out. And I've made that promise. No one has ever come to see me. And I've never heard of anyone who's gone broke. But I'll tell you what I have heard of. People getting blessed. And we have testimony of folks in this church that have gotten blessed by God because they stepped out by faith 
and planted their feet firmly upon God's promise here in Malachi chapter 3 John and Luke chapter 6, what we just read there. I want to read for you something. I don't normally do this, but I brought my phone with me today. I got a text. I'm going to read it to you. A couple of weeks ago, as you know, I was down in New Mexico. We landed in Albuquerque and we drove to Crown Point, a little town uh, on the Navajo Indian Reservation. And there I preached a series of meetings of faith promise for missions. They were supporting four missionaries. When all the faith promise cards came in at the end, they counted it all up and realized they could now jump to 16 missionaries they could support. Now we say, hallelujah, the gospel's getting out. But it didn't end there. I got a text from the pastor, Pastor Nelson. And he wrote and told me about two people in his church, Floyd and Lynette. Lovely Christian couple. Brother Floyd and Sister Lynette were blessed by God already after giving their tithes and missions to God on Sunday. All they had financially for this week was their tithes and mission giving. That's all the money they had. They both went to work on Monday knowing they might have to walk home. And they both checked their account and they saw there was a $7,000 in their account that was back pay out of the blue by the IRS. <laughs> That's the U.S. equivalent of the CRA here in Canada. When the CRA calls you and they want to meet with you, that's when you should call me for prayer. <laughs> but the IRS, you know, that's, that's bigger. And so, uh, out of the blue, they took a step of faith. And what happened? God blessed them. And I'll tell you why God did it. Because it's God's promise. It's His name on the, on the line. When God makes a promise and doesn't fulfill that promise, there's a problem with God. Now, if you think there's a problem with God, then don't take God at His word. But if you think God can be trusted, then you need to step out by faith and give God the tithe and start praying, God, what do you want me to give for faith promise mission? I have another little letter, email. We sent out a broadcast email. How many got it? It said something like, do you have a story to tell? You know, financially, how God blessed you. Anyone here get it? I just see a few hands. Maybe you haven't checked your email lately. We sent it out to everyone on the email list. Basically asking, if you have a story, share it with us so we can share it with others. Well, I got one really good response. I'd like to read it for you, if I may. I do have a story about missions. I was praying for some silly things I wanted to buy, and God provided a large amount of unexpected income and showed me I had capacity to give and that He would still provide for my needs and my wants. The more that I gave to God, the more that God found ways to give it back to me. It wasn't always monetary. Sometimes it would be an easier time at work or an abundant amount of peace with different relationships. But I've seen God work in really mysterious ways. God's blessings have also come through different opportunities that I wasn't necessarily qualified for. When you put your faith in God, life will feel less resistant. Doors open more easily and problems get solved more quickly, especially with school. God has proven himself time and time again. 
I was able to have my education covered and I still have money to spare. Kind regards, Natanya, our dear sister Natanya. What a great testimony. Boy, I, that filled my heart when I read that. And I know there's more stories in our church of people who've given to God by faith and been blessed. And I'd like you to email them into me. And I would like to be able to share them with the others so that we can all share in, get in on the blessing. You see, what we're saying is this. God's word never fails. God's promise in Malachi 3.10 is still good today, folks. Whoever will take God at his word, get on the bandwagon. Now, I also want to give you another verse. Many of you know it. We won't turn there, but it's Philippians 4.19. Do you know it? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, that's a precious promise, but you know who it's given to. You check the context in Philippians chapter 4. It was given to the church at Philippi because these Christians were supporting missionaries. They were giving out of their need. They gave, and the promise of God, God gives back. You can't claim that promise if you're not stepping out on faith and giving to God. So we need to make in our hearts a decision. And maybe you're not ready to decide today, but maybe you are. But in your heart today, would you decide or decide again, confirm again, that you will honor God with the tithe? Because when people say, well, tithing, you know, missions, tithing, isn't tithing enough? Well, it's enough to look after the local church, but it's not enough to reach the world with the gospel. That's kind of the bottom line, right? And so God promises, it, in, in Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that ye having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. Where's the money going to come from? God's going to give it to us. You ask God what he would have you do. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, first I want you to tithe. All right, done. Now what do you want me to do about missions? And then God will show you what to do. And it's going to be a different amount for each and every one of us. He's going to deal with us differently. But whatever God tells you to do, you can do it because he'll make sure you can do it. Give and it shall be given unto you. That's the very promise of Almighty God. Now, what are you going to do about it? All right, the lecture's over. We're not going to have a usual invitation, but we will bow our heads for prayer. Would you close your eyes now and bow your head with me in prayer? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.